nicely. Well, thank you, and a good message for sure. Appreciate that so much. Take your Bibles, please, if you will. Turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 again tonight. Ephesians, chapter 5. We saw this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, that we as children of our Heavenly Father are to be followers or imitators of Him. We are to resemble Him. We are to mimic Him in our thoughts, our attitudes, our motives, all of our actions. For example, we saw this morning in 1 Peter that we are to imitate Him in holy living. We read this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, As he which hath called you is holy, so, ye, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, as it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. At the beginning of our Truth Seekers on Wednesday night, back in the fall when we introduced our subject for this fall, winter, and spring, the subject of God is, we were going to, we're studying some of the attributes of God. And we saw that the characteristics or the attributes of God can really be divided into two different types of attributes. First of all, we have what some have called the non-moral attributes. What do you mean by that? They are attributes that God alone has. Uh, try as hard as we might, we are not going to ever have them. These non-moral attributes, they are attributes that God has, but that we cannot have, we will never have. For example, God is eternal. None of us are obviously going to be eternal. God is sovereign. None of us would claim to be sovereign. We don't know point working at that and so forth. Sovereign, eternal, sovereign, immutable, omniscient, omnipresent, transcendent, omnipotent, and there are others. Then there are what we call moral attributes. Characteristics or attributes of God that we as Christians should desire to have. We will never have them, obviously, like he has them, but we can have them. It can be a part of our lives. For example, God is, we've already seen God is holy. He can be holy. God is just. God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. God is forgiving. God is loving, etc. Our text tonight is God speaks about one of the, the, the importance of having one of these moral attributes of imitating him, mimicking him, following him. We saw this morning, chapter 5, verse 1, be, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And that was the first command in this passage. There are two commands here. The first one, that we should be followers or we should mimic God, be imitators of God. And then secondly, in verse 2, he says, and walk in love. So actually we have tonight, in the, the first command, be followers of God. We saw that this morning. Tonight we want to look at the second command. We are to walk in love. God commands us to walk in love. Read verse 2 along with me, please, if you will, out loud. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and here we go. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. That's a wonderful verse of Scripture. We're commanded here to walk in love. Walking in love is just another way that we can imitate God. We can truly be followers of him. Um, we'll see tonight again that God has set for us a tremendous example in this, and that's why verses 1 and 2 go together. 
We saw this morning back in chapter 4, verse 32, we should be kind one to another. We should be tenderhearted. We should be forgiving one another as or like as or even as just like God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. So like we, we mimic God in forgiving others. Well, how could we not forgive somebody when we think that God has forgiven us? A holy God forgiving us and we as unholy people can't forgive somebody else because of what they've done to us shouldn't be. We should be imitators, followers of God as it, is to, as it has to do with forgiving others. But right along that same theme, he follows that same thing. And he says, while we're talking about following God, imitating God, remember now, we can do that by walking in love. And again, even as Christ loved us. Listen to a few statements that I want to give you. And um, as I give you these few statements, I want you to think about them. I'll give them slowly. Is anything I'm saying wrong? You say, is this a trick question? I don't ask trick questions, usually. Is this a trick question? I'm going to make some statements, and you listen carefully. And as I make a statement, you be asking yourself, anything wrong with that? Could that be backed up in the scriptures? Here we go. God has set an example for us. We see in his word that God himself is love, and that God has openly manifested his love. When we were born again, God came to indwell us. We therefore, as a Christian, have God's love within us. We can and should manifest that love outwardly to others. When we do this, we are following, we are imitating God who himself is love. This imitating God by walking in love is done as the Holy Spirit controls us as he fills us. Did you hear anything in those statements that you thought, uh, don't think so? I don't think we could ever see that in scriptures. I'll give you one more chance. Here we go. Where did I start? <laughs> okay. As Christ also loved us, he hath given himself for us. God has set the example for us to follow. For we see in the word of God that God himself is love. That God has openly manifested his love. When we were born again, God came to indwell us. We therefore as a Christian have God's love within us. And we can and should manifest that love outwardly to others. When we do this, we are following, we are imitating God who is love. This imitating God by walking in love is done only as the Holy Spirit who indwells us, fills us as he controls us. Have I said anything that is not true? Have I said anything that could not be backed up, it couldn't be proven in scripture? The obvious answer to that question should be no. I have not said anything that is not true. Everything I've said has scripture to back it up. And we're going to do that tonight in one simple message. Now, you're going to have your Bibles ready because we are not going to dwell long on any one point. You're going to look at a lot of verses. I'll quote some verses tonight just to save time. I probably could quote most of these or all of them, but I'm not going to know I couldn't quote them all. I could come close, but that's not the main issue. The issue is I want you to be able to see some of these in your Bible. Some of them I just want to quote, but only basically to save time, okay? So let's just start, first of all, tonight with the question or the statement, God himself is love. Would you agree with that? 
Do we find that? And that's just what he is by nature. God is love. Where do we find that in Scripture? We find it many places, but two verses we want to look at tonight, please. Would you go to 1 John? 1 John chapter 4. We'll just take two verses in 1 John chapter 4 that tell us very plainly, very simply, we've got to start. If we're supposed to walk in love, then we better figure out, first of all, okay, why? How are we going to do that? Why is that important? Well, first of all, God himself is love. 1 John chapter 4, would you look please at verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is not just loving. God does not just love people. God himself in his very nature is love. 1 John 4, 8. Same chapter, would you look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. Plain and simple, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Let me read that again, please, and think about that. We have known him and believed the love that God hath to us. God himself is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Secondly, tonight, God has openly manifested his love. God has chosen to openly reveal, to openly show, to openly make known, to openly manifest his love. You all know John 3.16. Let's quote that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much, he manifested that, he revealed that, how he do it? How did he do that? He gave his only begotten son. Do you know Romans 5, 8? Can you quote that with me? But God commendeth his love toward us in that... God commendeth. God has clearly, openly demonstrated. He's proven, he's shown, he has demonstrated his love to us. God proved his love. He outwardly displayed his love. He showed forth his love. How? The Bible says, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, not commandeth, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're in 1 John. Would you go back to chapter 3, please, verse 16. We like John 3.16. We all got that memorized. Now, how about 1 John 3.16? Did you ever try to memorize that? What's the point? God has openly manifested his love. Do we see that here? 1 John 3, verse 16. Hereby, or this is how. Hereby we perceive. How do we perceive the love of God? Hereby we perceive the love of God. Because he hath laid down, he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Look at that first phrase. This is how or hereby in this we perceive the love of God. Well, because he manifested his love. What did he do? He laid down his life for us. 1 John 3, 16. My favorite two verses about God manifesting his love, revealing his love, are in the same book. They're in chapter 4 and they're verses 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 4, please. Look at verses 9 and 10. And I like especially because the way it starts. What's our point tonight? God has openly manifested his love. Is that true? Well, what does it say? In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we should live through him. Herein is love. 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Once again, that whole, those whole two verses, one plain simple fact, God is not only love himself, but God has chosen to openly manifest his son. And he did that when he gave his son. In the Lord Jesus Christ, his son's life, in his death, in his resurrection, he also manifested his love toward us, that he's love, as obviously God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, the Trinity. If one of the three is love, they're all love. You can't, you can't separate them. You can't put them up, send them apart, so to speak. So not only is God love, as manifested as love, God the Father, but God the Son also is love. He manifested as love. And we see that in so many scriptures. My favorite two verses. How did Jesus Christ manifest his love for us when he, when he, when he died for us? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Where the love of Christ, or the love of Christ, God's Christ's love for me, the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all. As a result, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Those two verses, all about the, the sacrificial death of Christ for us. And by the way, that's why I say so often, we should never think about it, uh, of living for Christ as a sacrifice. Like we're just really missing out on all of the fun or all of whatever else because we're Christians. But it's going to be okay because one day we're going to be in heaven, then we get all of our fun. Uh, that's not a good way to think. We're not missing out on any of the world's fun by being saved, amen? And it is no sacrifice to live for Christ. I told you I had a counselor in high school, public high school I went to, when, he, when I told him I was going to go to a Bible college or university and prepare to, to serve as a pastor or an evangelist or a music director, an assistant pastor, a missionary, something in serving Christ. He looked at all of the results of my my test scores at that time and this placement test I took and he tried to convince me that I should be, this is a joke now, but he tried to convince me that I should be a, a math teacher on a college level. I can't even comprehend that. <laughs> and after 10th grade, I didn't care anything about math, okay? And then he said, if you don't do that, for sure, you should be an English professor. You should teach, you should teach, teach English in a graduate school. And I could kind of think about that because I really did love English and grammar. But I said, well, thank you very much, Mr. McDougall, but I really know that I'm going to be serving the Lord. And he lowered his glasses. He looked out over the top of his glasses, and he said, of all my years as a high school counselor, I've never met a bigger fool than you. You don't forget it when somebody tells you something like that. My high school counselor, you know. Like, you are really blowing it, Larry, by going to be in this ministry thing when you could be making all these big bucks by being this whatever else, and I really didn't care about that. Listen, I've never felt like I sacrificed anything by being in the Lord's service. I've considered that a great privilege, but it's all based on the fact that Jesus Christ has openly revealed his love for me. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're pretty pathetic. That means then we're all dead. But that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, 
but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know, I hate to say this, but it is true. It is harder, it is getting harder and harder to find pastors for churches and harder and harder to find missionaries. And missionaries are coming home because of old age or dying or whatever reason, whatever problem they're having on the fields and they can't find missionaries to take their place because very few people are majoring in missions anymore. Very few men are majoring in pastoral studies anymore. Getting harder and harder to find assistant pastors and music director in churches because everybody wants to major in something secular. Now listen, if God calls you to secular service that is perfectly fine you you have to know God's will for your life and it is just as holy and sacred to be in some secular we want to say secular business and have some the layman's occupation that is just as holy as being as a pastor standing behind a pulpit if that's what God calls you to do but do, do sometimes do you have a concern or a burden that's very very few young people today get out of a high school Christian high school public high school homeschooling or reformatory school, whatever. I mean, they get out of school and it's like they would never think about serving the Lord full time. I mean, who's going to go? What did Jesus say? Pray that the Lord of harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. We need pastors. We need missionaries. We need evangelists. We need assistant pastors. We need music directors. We need youth directors. I mean, where are they going to come from? If they don't come from churches like this, where are they going to come from? And it is no sacrifice to think of serving the Lord if he calls you to do that. Because he died for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15. Ephesians 5, 2, our text. Go back to our text. Go back to Ephesians 5. Christ Jesus is love. And he has manifested his love toward us. How did he do that? Well, look what our verse says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, our text. And walk in love. Oh, do we have an example? Do we have someone to imitate, someone to follow? Anybody, anybody show us what that's all about? Yes, walk in love even as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. You know, when you think about the Scriptures and what the Scriptures talk about, the proof that Jesus Christ loved us, you will oftentimes see that the focus is on that word giving. And, and that's important because... My, my definition of love is not the most important thing in the world, but you've heard it many times. I believe that God's love, divine love, agape love, is best defined like this. Love is giving of yourself. Notice giving. Love is giving of yourself sacrificially to meet the needs of the cherished object, expecting nothing in return. It's not about what am I going to get back. <coughs> it's what, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And when you think about... <coughs> excuse me, Christ's love in the scriptures. How do we know he loved? You find that word gave or you find that word giving. It's right here in our text. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given. There's that key word. Remember Ephesians 5, oh, same chapter. Look at verse 25. <coughs> Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And what? Gave himself for, by the way, this is better than Valentine's Day love. Hope you guys got your wife something for Valentine's Day. I hope you got her a card or maybe a dandelion or something, some flower, you know, to get her something. Take her out for dinner. I mean, we have our dinner plans for tomorrow night. Say, where are you going? I'm not telling you, but it's a good place. Uh, and it won't be lobster or shrimp. It'll be you know what. Please, what will it be? She can get what she wants. I'm getting steak. Okay. So, well, that's Valentine's Day. Big special date tomorrow night, the Lord willing. 
Okay, so is that where we are? You just only do something special for your wife on special occasions, and then the rest of the year it's like you don't even tell them you love them, let alone take them on a date? No, when we're not talking here about Valentine's Day love here. We're talking about real, true, godly love. We're talking about love that is like Christ's love for us. Husbands, love your wives to what extent, how much, even as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself, there's that word gave, he gave himself for it. We're close, go back to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. What's the key word here, Galatians 1? Why don't we read three, uh, Galatians 1 verses 3 and 4, okay? Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who what? He gave, he gave himself for our sins. Why did he do that? That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. You know one reason I really like that verse? Because so many people think that the whole emphasis of Jesus Christ giving himself for us is to deliver us from our sins. To deliver us from judgment. To deliver us from hell. You know, Jesus loves me and died for me, so I don't have to go to hell. That is true, and we ought to thank God for that. But you know what this verse says? He gave himself for us, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. We live in a wicked world, would you agree? And God does not want us to be worldly. He wants us to abstain from the world. Don't love the world. Come out from the world. Don't, do, don't be conformed to this world. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. There's so many verses, you know, love not the world. I mean, how many verses does God have to give us to tell us that Christians should not be in this worldly thing? And that's one of the main reasons Jesus died for us, that he gave himself for us, is so that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Why would he want to go back into it? I, would, I want you, oh, you know Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, right? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, finish it with me, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There it is again. Love is giving. Go to John 10. Give me to John 10. Trying to quote some verses to save time, but some of them I really want you to see. Go to John 10 because there are several verses that really, really summarize this, I think, in John chapter 10, all in the same chapter, because this is the chapter of Christ being the good shepherd. We'll just pick a few verses. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, here it is, giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at verses 17 and 18. Therefore, I love these verses. To me, they go right along with my theme verses, my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15. I think they go right with that. Therefore, doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power both to lay it down. He said, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father. When we think of the death of Christ, when we think of the fact that he gave himself for us, that he laid down his life for us, we always want to remember, listen, he did that voluntarily. He didn't have to do that. He willingly chose to do that. My wife and I, once in a while, I think we've sung it once or twice here, have sung this duet. He could have called 10,000 angels. I love that song. 
I love that song because that is a fact. He could have called 10 million angels if he wanted to, or he could have called one angel and taken care of it with one. He, he could have come off the cross if he wanted to. Would you agree? When, you know, I was reading, just as we finished reading Matthew again in our devotions recently, I read again where they were standing below the cross and said, yeah, he, he saved others himself he cannot save. Come off the cross and we'll believe on you. Listen, he could have come off the cross that fast and nobody would have changed any of their beliefs. They were already convinced he had to die. They'd have, they'd have found some way to kill him a different way if they had to. But he chose willingly, voluntarily to die for us. It's all about his love for us. Our text says that he gave himself for us an offering. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5 again, if you will, please. I want you to, when we leave church tonight, I want you to feel like I got that verse down, okay? Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Now look at the last part here. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. This is interesting. I got to think about this this week. Jesus Christ is both the offerer and the offering. In the Old Testament, there's a priest who sacrifices a lamb. Jesus Christ is both our great high priest and he is the lamb that was sacrificed. Read Hebrews again. Hebrews especially. Chapters 8, 9, 10, those three chapters. It's, it's all about the fact that Christ is the offerer. He is the priest, but he offered himself. He shed his own blood. And when I started thinking about that, doing some reading on that, I, I think Dr. Albert Barnes, I quote him often, Dr. Albert Barnes, I think, summarizes best what this is all about when we read in our text. And, and walk in love, even as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering. He gave the offering. He is the offering. And a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. You know, it's really all based on Leviticus chapter 1. We won't go there. Leviticus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. The fact that when these offerings were, were made, when they were sacrificed, the offering was made to God. It was like in the nostrils of God. It was a sweet fragrance. It was like a sweet-smelling a Savior. It's, it, and he says that, that's, that's what the death of Jesus is all about when his giving of his life for us. Dr. Barnes, I think, explains that. He summarizes that so well. Listen to this. Surely he says it best. Christ is here in our text. Christ is here expressly called a sacrifice. The usual word in the scriptures to denote a proper offering, sacrifice. A sacrifice was an offering made to God by killing an animal and burning it on the altar. Designed to make atonement for sin. It always implied the killing of the animal as an acknowledgement of the sinner that he is the one who deserved to die. It was, it was the giving up of life which was supposed to reside in the blood, and hence it was necessary that blood should be shed. Now listen to this summary. Christ was such a sacrifice, and his love was shown in his being willing that his blood should be shed to save men. Because the Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood is no remission. There's no forgiveness of our sins without the shedding of blood. And Jesus shed his own blood. I mean, if that's not loving us so much that he was willing to give himself and shed his own blood, how do we, what is love all about? I mean, that is the ultimate ex expression of love, and that's what our text says. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. 
That's what Jesus Christ is. Why? Because he's love. Again tonight, God came to dwell. I made this statement earlier. God came to indwell us when we were born again. Is that true or not? God came to indwell us when we were born again. True or false? That's true. Let's go to John 14. Go to John 14. Just look at a couple of verses here. We'll go to our next point. Go to John 14. This is Jesus Christ talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross, shortly before he went to the cross. John chapter 14. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. John 14, 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter. What does comforter mean? It's that parakletos. Let me mention that word this morning. He's the one called alongside to help. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither known him. Watch this. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's the great change that happened on the day of Pentecost. No longer does the Holy Spirit just dwell with people. Now he comes to indwell us at the moment of salvation. John chapter 14. You know 1 Corinthians, excuse me, you know 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, don't you? I think you do. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Just that first verse. What? Do you not know? He said, of course you know. I know you know. What? Do you not know that your body, your very physical body, your human body, is the temple, the home? It's the abode of the Holy Spirit of God, which is in us? Go to Ephesians, if you will, please. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. While you're going there, I'm going to take a quick detour. I don't know if I can quote these verses. 2 Corinthians, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verses of Ephesians just about like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Listen to this. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed, he's talking believers, who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is called the earnest. He's the down payment, so to speak. The fact that we are eternally secure. Listen, let me ask you a question. If you're saved, say amen. If you have everlasting life right now, say amen. So where's this everlasting life? Who's this everlasting life? You say, well, no, that, that's heaven someday. No, that's not everlasting life. That's heaven. If you don't, I've said this so many times, if you don't have everlasting life when you die, you won't have it after you die. And our eternal life, our everlasting life, in fact, is the indwelling Holy Spirit who has sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now you can go to Ephesians chapter 1. And look at verses 13 and 14. See if you remember I preached on this back last spring or summer, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. He says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, literally, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Same message we, at the very second of salvation, we didn't know it. Nobody probably told us. If you're like most people, when you got saved, somebody said, guess what? Praise the Lord. Your sins are forgiven. You said, wonderful. And now they said something like this. If you died, you don't go to hell. I said, praise the Lord. 
And because of what you just did in receiving Christ, now you have eternal life. Wonderful. And when you die, you're going to go to heaven forever. Amen. And they didn't say, and you know something else? God's Holy Spirit just came to enter your body, and he will never leave you, ever. They didn't tell you that. They didn't tell me that. That's one of the greatest doctrines of Scripture. And that has become so important when you think of how we're supposed to obey our text tonight and, and, and love, even as Christ loved us. We're supposed to walk in love. It's a wonderful passage, Ephesians chapter 4. And we just studied a few weeks ago, Ephesians 4.30, remember? And grieve not the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption, the final day of redemption. We're sealed by God's Spirit. So we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Next statement I made went like this. We have the love of God within us. Now, this should be pretty easy now, okay? Is that a true statement? According to the Bible, we have the love of God in us. True or false? True. Could you prove that by the Bible? Well, just a couple of verses. Go back to Romans chapter 5, if you will, please. Romans chapter 5. If this is the only verse you need, that you, you remember, here it is. We have the love of God in us, Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It's a great verse. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. In that verse, he says that we are made partakers of the divine nature. You say, I, I don't understand it. Well, just simply... God indwells us, and as a believer, we are partakers. We are a sharer of the very nature of God. God, who is love, indwells a Christian in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have, literally, we have the love of God. You say, well, I, have a, I know a lot of unsaved people, and sometimes they're more loving than Christians. Well, that's a sad statement to have to make, but oftentimes that appears to be true. But I, trust me, it is a different kind of love. It is not agape love. It's not what we're talking about. It's not the love that comes from the Holy Spirit living within. It's either eros or it's Philadelphia love. It's some other kind of love, but it's not the love of God, the love of Christ, the love that indwells the believer. And, and you know, sometimes, let's say, we all know this is true, sometimes unsaved people can be very kind. Amen? Unsaved people can be very gracious. Amen? Unsaved people can be very generous, right? Not always so, but oftentimes so. They do have some ulterior motive, and it's like, what's in this for me? What are you going to give me in return? Or will my name be on the news next week about this gift of $5 billion I just gave to so-and-so? I mean, not always now. This will be some kind of promotion, some kind of recognition, some kind of advancement. And we have no idea how many of these people in their, in their love, their graciousness, their kindness, their generosity, their gifts and all that. It's like, you know, one day God will be so impressed. He's going to let me in heaven. It's just hard to imagine how many people are going to be so disappointed that they didn't get in heaven after all those millions and millions of dollars they graciously gave away. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's love within us, the very, the very nature of God, God's love. And then I made this statement. We can and should manifest God's love outwardly to others as we walk in love. Well, that's pretty obvious. 
that's what, that's what being a Christian is all about. That's what our text is all about. And walk in love as Christ loved us. You say, well, Pastor, how do we do that? How do we do that? I mean, this could be a series in itself, and it's, and it's going to take about five minutes, okay? How do we do this? If we're supposed to walk in love, what does the word walk mean? It speaks of our what? Our conduct, our behavior, our manner of life, our lifestyle. If our whole lifestyle, our thinking, our motives, our desires, our attitudes, our words, our action, if it's all supposed to be about true love, godly love, we're supposed to walk, walk in love, our whole lifestyle is characterized by love, then how do we do it? I think a good place to start is to go to 1 Corinthians 13 and take a look at God's perfect portrait, God's perfect picture of what true love is all about. And as we just read these verses, ask yourself the question, how am I doing? Does that sound like me? Because this is God's portrait of divine love that we're supposed to be exercising, living in our lives, not just on Valentine's Day toward our wife or husband, no, our children, every day of our life toward God and toward others. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 13, and instead of using the word charity here, I'll just put in love, okay? Same word. Love Oh, what a place to start. Love suffereth long. That means love is long-suffering. It puts up with problems and people that are pretty hard to put up with for a long time. But love just keeps going. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love seeketh not her own. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but love rejoiceth in the truth. Love beareth all things. Love believeth all things. Love hopeth all things, and love endureth all things. I mean, you got to start there. Does that sound like your life? Does that sound like my life? We will never, listen, we will never, ever be perfect in loving like God is perfect. But these are things that ought to characterize our lifestyle if we really believe that God is love that God lives in us with his Holy Spirit. We have the very nature of God within us, and therefore we can obey this command to walk in love. And this is, these are some things that should be characteristic of our lives. Listen, we show our love for God and really every time we obey God. I'll go quickly, John 14. Let's go, I'll just pick one passage. Go to John 14. So how, how, do, we, how do we walk in love? Well, here's one way we obey, we, we obey God. We obey his commands. John chapter 14, look at verse 15. If you love me, what does it say? Three words. So I love the Lord. Do you keep his word? Do you do what he says? We got a lot of people that are saying, I love the Lord. They don't look like it. They don't act like it. They don't do what he says. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. Same chapter, look at verses 21 through 24. What did Jesus say? He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. 
He that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man, watch this now, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which has sent me. It's pretty simple. You say, I just want to, okay, I want to walk in love. I want to leave church tonight, and I want to determine by the grace of God, I'm going to walk in love, just like Jesus loved me and gave it. Okay, start with, then you're going to have to say, then that means I'm going to be obeying his word, because Jesus makes it clear. One way that we walk in love is just doing what he says. We meet, we, 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 uh, we walk in love when we meet the needs of others. Through a friendship. Just meeting others' needs through a friendship. Perhaps a note, a card, a text, an email, a phone call, a spoken word, just face to face. It might be a compliment. It might be an encouragement. It might be counsel or advice. Maybe just... Maybe talking about anything, just as a friend. I mean, surely there's been some time, I hope in your life recently, where you thought, you know, she just seems lonely. She just seems sad. She just seems, he just seems like something's wrong, like something's bothering him. And, and I just feel so badly for him. I feel so badly for her. Well, do you feel badly enough to just walk up and start talking? You say, well, that's probably going to make it worse. They don't want to talk. Oh, wow, what an attitude. Just, just talk. Just show yourself friendly. Be a friend. It doesn't have to be a gushy compliment. Just conversation about whatever. Sometimes an extra, a, a, a kind word. Just something that, that shows that you care. Something that shows you, you, that you just noticed. It's all about love. Doing things for others. And, and we read the verses, we read one verse earlier. We read 1 John 3, 16. Let me read 1 John 3, 16, 17, and 18. You'll see it here in one verse. Look at this, or three verses. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What is he saying? Don't just say you love someone. We, my wife and I used to, when we first got married, we'd kind of joke around. We'd say, yeah, it's, you're all talking, no action. We said that in fun, by the way, okay? You can smile at least, all right? Yeah, you're all talking, no action. You know, I want action here, you know, okay? Well, that's what God says. You know, love is not something you just talk about. Just tell people you love them, show it. I'm so thankful for our church. Listen, we're not perfect in this. You and I, if, if I thought we were, I wouldn't even preach it. I'd go preach something else. There's a need here. I know there's a need here to be more loving, to walk more, to walk in love more than we do. But I am thankful. We do have in our church a lot of truly loving people who I believe in many different ways, in many different times, sometimes in small ways or big. What's the difference between small and big anyway? They go out of themselves, they go out of, the, out of their way to do something that basically says, I love you, without maybe saying those words. Just doing things for people. 
And by the way, if you need to be prompted, you don't understand this, okay? Well, pastor, I'll tell you what, I'll come up to you after the service tonight. Maybe you can give me some ideas. You don't need somebody to prompt you, surely. If you're just praying, Father, I want to walk in love. I don't want to be self-centered. I don't want to be selfish. I want to be conscious of the needs of others, not just the unsaved, but their souls especially. But I want to be conscious of the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ right here in my local church. Heavenly Father, would you prompt me? Would you point out from time to time? Uh, would you just show me somebody I can express your love to? God will, God will thrive on answering that prayer. And you will be surprised. How many times God will say, okay, he could use a little love right now. She could use a little encouragement right now. You just pray, and then you, you follow the Lord's leading in whatever, however he leads you. By the way, sometimes we show our love when we rebuke others. It's not just always saying kind things. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Sometimes the greatest way you and I can ever show our love for somebody is to correct them when they need correcting. To reprove them when they need reproving. To rebuke them when they need rebuke. Now that's dangerous because people don't always take that right. They don't always think, you know what, I want to thank you for rebuking me. Thank you so much for correcting me. Thank you so much for telling me it's wrong. I really appreciate that. Hey, look, I'll tell you the truth. I always tell you the truth, okay? Of all the times and all the years we've been here that I can remember, I may have forgotten some, of all the times since we've been here that my wife in private kindly has had to talk to a lady or a girl about immodest apparel. I can only think of one time, one time, when a young lady said, Mrs. Carsey's, thank you so much for talking to me because I know I'm wrong and I really appreciate what you've said. That is not generally what happens. I can think of one time in all the years we've been here, of all the times she's ever had to speak with anybody about immodest clothes as a lady or a girl, pastor's wife, face to face, it usually doesn't go over real well. And that really, really is sad. And Proverbs addresses that too. He said, yeah, rebu rebuke a fool and he will hate you. <laughs> okay, I mean, there's verses like that in Proverbs. I'm sorry, they're in there. But sometimes that's how you show your love. I mean, when our kids were little, I mean, Todd got, Todd got chewed out. He, I chewed him out real, real good the time he decided to ride his, drive his, his bicycle right down the middle of our street. I mean, he knew that was forbidden. That was wrong. He, no, you don't do that. You got the whole church parking lot. Some live right next to you. You got the whole church parking lot. You got all the sideways, the driveways. You got, you got, you got it all, you know, and you, you can't drive down the road. Well, Todd says, you know, my bike, just, it just rides better down the street, you know. I look out the window, and he's going right smack down the middle of the road in his bicycle. You think he didn't have problems with that? I say, Pastor, why'd you do that? I love him, care about him. That's a very little thing. It could be a big thing, okay. But, you know, when you, when you do see somebody walking toward a cliff, you know, and you know if they're not careful, they're going to go over and they're gone. I don't mean physically dead. It could be that too. But just spiritually, you say, you know what? He doesn't know, but he's, he's, he's going to have a problem soon. And, and the Bible says this. Hey, listen, we don't show our love when we act like we didn't see, didn't notice, didn't care, and just walk off. No, sometimes you, you have to correct. And what does the Bible say about, about discipline? Whom the Lord, can you finish it? Whom the Lord loveth, he, he chastens. 
A father chastens his son like the Lord chastens us because he loves us. The Bible says in Proverbs and in Hebrews, whom the Lord loveth, he chastens even as a son, the, the fa- whom the father loves, whom the Lord loves, he chastens even the son in whom he delights. So chastening and love, they go hand in hand. If somebody knows you do wrong, parents, when you see your child do wrong, you, you don't when you just keep warning. You don't show your love when you just keep talking and hoping it's all going to work out. Sometimes the best way to show your love is to correct, to chasten, to spank, to discipline that son or that daughter because they don't know it, but you're saying basically, I love you too much to let you keep acting like this because I know how it's going to turn out. And I think we love people when we pray for them. Walk in love, we pray for people. We pray for people that we truly love. So how do we do this? Let's just close today. How do we do this? It takes the Holy Spirit within to do that. Because by nature, we are selfish people. By our, if you know, we have God's nature within us, that's God's nature. That's love. And God is all about others, as we saw this morning and tonight. He's all about giving and others. That's God. When we have God in our hearts, we should be about others. And giving. When, we, when, we, when we're not about that, when, when our fleshly nature is in charge, when we are walking in the spirit and not in the flesh, Galatians, what, 5, 16 and 17, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they're the contrary, the opposites one to another so that you cannot do the things you want. In the next few verses, he says, let me show you what some of the results are. The, the, what happens when the flesh is in control? And there's a whole long list of stuff. And listen, it's all about self. Selfishness, self-centeredness, me, rebellion. And then he says in the next verse, Galatians 5, 22, but... The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first word? Love. That's where the love comes from. God's Spirit has to be in control. If God's Spirit is filling me, if he's filling you, he's really in control, it's amazing how our eyes are open to the needs of others and how easy it is to meet people's needs. That's God in us, giving, okay? If we're not filled with the Spirit, if we're not controlled by God's spirit, if we're living the typical average Christian life that's all about, that's, it's going to be all about me. And that self-centered, selfish nature is powerful and it will rule and life will be, how can you serve me? What can you do to make me feel good? What can you do to meet my needs? What can you do to help me out? Because you can see I have a need, can't you? And it's all about me. And we don't notice others. And frankly, we don't care because it's all about pride and selfishness. And we're all wrapped up in our little world. And God says, be followers of God. Be imitators of God as dear children, children resembling our Heavenly Father. And walk in love even as Christ loves us. He's given himself as an offering. Would you bow your heads, please? I don't think it's that hard to know what to do after a message like this. I think we just need to be, as I said this morning, we just need to be honest. Just need to be serious about things. And say, well, how am I doing? Can I say that my life is characterized by a lifestyle 
of loving God most of all and therefore loving others? Am I sensitive to the needs of others and am willing to go out of my way whether it takes time or effort or energy or money or whatever inconvenience? It's just like, how can I serve you? How can I help you? We are to walk in love. So we say, how are we doing? And you talk to God about that. If you know there's weakness there, failure there, you confess it. You just confess it. Say, I'm wrong. I'm very selfish, God, and you know that. I'm very, very self-centered most of the time. Father, forgive me. Don't pray that if you don't mean it. If you mean it, pray it. And ask him to help you. I'll give you one more suggestion then. If God gives us another day, and we wake up tomorrow morning to do whatever is on the agenda tomorrow, Let's do this. Bow your head before you get out of bed. I mean, get up or you'll go back to sleep, okay? I've gone to sleep many times in the middle of my prayer. Anybody else here? So you get up and you get ready to stand up. Maybe you do stand up and you say, Heavenly Father, help me please to remember last night's message. I know I needed that. And today, I, I, I please point out someone that I can truly show Christian love toward in some way. Prompt me, Lord. Talk to me. Lead me. I want to be that kind of person. I want to walk in love. I want my lifestyle to be characterized by Christ-likeness, godliness, in loving others who need that love. Father, bless the message. Therefore, I pray tonight to our hearts. And may it be something that will truly work change in our life as it's needed for thy glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. As our pianist plays one verse of a song tonight. Maybe you've already been praying while I've been up here talking. That's fine. Maybe you're all finished. Well, just listen to the panel then, okay? But as she plays a verse, you talk with the Lord, and then we'll close in prayer tonight. Emmanuel, if you will pray after one verse of a song. Would you do that? Before Emmanuel prays, please, just before Emmanuel prays, Aaron, Aaron, come up here a minute, would you? Come up here. I was pretty excited this morning, folks. Come up here, Aaron. You know this guy? How can you not know this guy? Come up here. Did you come and talk to me today? What'd you tell me? Did you hear him? Say a little louder. I'm telling you this morning, I'm coming out of my office, getting ready to go to the gym and check up on things like I always do before Sunday school. I hear somebody coming down the hallway, 
I kind of turn around. Aaron's coming up to me. He's got about the biggest smile I've ever seen him have. He said, Pastor, I got saved. I knew what he said, but I wanted to hear it again. Okay, I said, what would you say? He said, Pastor, I got saved. I said, you got saved? And he said, yeah. He said, I got saved on Monday. Was it Monday? Good. Who talked to you when you were saved? Your mom talked to you. You back there, Tracy, somewhere, I hope? Oh, she stepped out. Well, you can share this with her, okay? I mean, he was so excited, folks. I mean, I got saved on, I got saved on Monday. And I said, praise the Lord. If that's kind of what our church is here for, amen? I thought about that all during the day. Here's a guy. How old are you? Four? Four years old. And now he's going to heaven. He has God inside of his body. His sins have all been forgiven. He has eternal life because he was saved on, Mon not Tuesday, Monday. Is that good? We're glad for you. You go back by dad, okay? Praise the Lord. Emmanuel, close in prayer.